Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so let's be honest here. You and I both know that portions of the passage of scripture that we read this morning have been used for some four centuries to keep our black siblings oppressed and is still being used for that purpose. Most translations actually have it translated a different way. We read from the translation called The Voice, but most translations have it this way. A student is no greater than the teacher and a slave is never greater than the master. It is sufficient if the student is like the teacher and the slave is like the master. You hear it, don't you? The implication that slaves are to be subject to their masters? You hear it, don't you? The implication that somehow slaves in our country, African Americans brought to the land of the free, far from being free, that they are less than their white masters. The implications are brutal, unjust, and deceptive interpretations of the gospel. And we need to call that out. You know, there are multiple layers of what happens in every single scripture that we read from our canon. The first is, for example, with what we read this morning, that there was a time when Jesus lived and taught and healed and preached. And in that time, he taught certain things that were then handed down orally and finally put in writing. And then people came along, like the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, and put down those teachings, but according to what Matthew thought was important for the community he was writing for. And then, there was an interpretation by editors who came along after the original writers and translators who came along after the editors. And then there is the interpretation for today. And we all know that interpretations can be wrong-headed. Um, they can be wrong. And especially if somebody wants to stand on the rule that the Bible needs to be interpreted word by word, literally. Listen, over the last several weeks, I've encountered some of the brightest minds in the Christian, progressive Christian tradition. Reverend Cameron Turnbull, the CEO of Convergence, who is doing an incredible job calling forth the truth for all of us and in lifting up pastors and teachers and Christians to hear the truth, has said that we need a new canon. The professor I'm working with at Perkins School of Theology, Dr. Alice McKenzie, has gone so far along with other scholars to say there are just some passages of scripture that should not be read in worship and should not be preached on. And my dear friend, Bishop Yvette Flunder, in a conference call this week, that was to talk about Juneteenth and where we are today, bluntly said, we need a new canon. 
We need new holy scriptures that speak the truth. We need a new canon. And you know what? That fits perfectly with the United Church of Christ, who says that God is still speaking. In other words, we either need to excise some of our canon or speak the truth to it. There are some things I want to clear up in today's reading. The passage is often called the missionary discourse. And Jesus gives instructions as he commissions the disciples to preach, teach, and heal, which is, by the way, what Jesus does, preaches, teaches, and heals. But instead of instructing them to be authoritative, in a part of the scripture passage for today that we didn't read, Jesus instructs them to be vulnerable. He tells them, don't, uh, you know, when you go out to preach, teach, and heal, take no money, bag, clothes, sandals, or staff, and put yourselves at the mercy or hospitality or the lack of hospitality of those they, they were to encounter. This is table-turning teaching. This is table-turning teaching of Jesus' day. And with this table-turning teaching, that we can actually do the work of God and be vulnerable at the same time, are some instructions that are warnings and also encouragement. The reference, if people call the head of a house Beelzebul, which means devil, just imagine what they are calling the members of his household. Well, you may kind of want, I wrestled with this. I didn't really know what was being said there, but as I read and as I studied, I learned that Jesus is speaking about what government, religious, and other people are calling him. Beelzebul, the devil. He is cursed. And we see that in other passages of scripture. And thus he is giving these disciples a warning. This preaching, teaching, and healing thing will not be a walk in the park. And he also warns the one to fear is the one who can destroy you, soul and body, in the fires of hell. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, Jesus is talking about Satan here. Jesus is talking about evil here. No, Jesus is talking about God who breathes life into us and receives us when we breathe our last. And, and, and often the word fear in Hebrew and Aramaic is better translated awe. And so perhaps maybe we need to say that this passage is about us having awe and wonder of the one who could destroy us, body and soul. And I want to tell you, in Matthew, there's no getting around the fires of hell. Matthew talks about it all the time. But maybe we need to interpret it differently. I mean, you know, we tend to think of the images of a, a fiery furnace. And that that's where we go if we somehow fail God. But maybe instead, we need to eliminate that or we need to reinterpret is that the places where we fail, the places where we're not the people we really want to be, and the things that we have created out of that, like the sin of slavery, like the sin of racism, need to be cast into fire, the fires of hell and burned away from us. That said, we have challenges today, don't we? Not unlike those early disciples. I mean, to be perfectly honest, 
to truly follow in the way of Jesus is to choose vulnerability over power and authority, and that's never easy. This is not to say that Jesus wants us to be purely passive. That would go against everything Jesus did. Jesus confronted the powers and principalities of his day. He was quick to speak against the things they were doing and the ways that they were destroying the interpretation of the scriptures. And listen to what follows. And you should proclaim in the bright light of day everything that I have whispered to you in the dark. This is after saying the one who can destroy, you know, be in awe of the one who can destroy body and soul. Jesus says, and you should proclaim in the bright light of day everything that I have whispered to you in the dark. Both because it's urgently present in most of our minds today that there is a perennial struggle in our human communities all over the world about racism. Racism is a vivid example of the death-dealing forces that Jesus had in mind when he was teaching the disciples. A hateful injustice that will not go quietly when confronted by apostles, by us, and our desire to live lives of love. Peacemaking is an ultimate goal, of course, but any unjust status quo always has powerful supporters with vested interests and so moving forward, genuine peace always and often begins with initial conflicts. So it is our challenge to balance our commitment to vulnerability and peace, to our commitment to proclaiming truth in the light from the housetops. For white Christians, that vulnerability is a hard message. In the Faith 2020 Juneteenth conversation that I spoke about earlier, Bishop Yvette Flunder and Bishop Carlton Pearson, in their conversation, I heard that we white Christians are going to have to listen to what our black siblings are saying. We're going to have to let them take the lead. We're going to set, have to set aside some of our power and places at the table in order to bring our black siblings, our Latinx siblings, our Asian siblings, and all other people who are marginalized and oppressed to the table. And this, in this Pride Month, white LGBTQ Christians will need to remember that what we learned during the AIDS crisis, which, by the way, is still going on, but is better managed now, but the AIDS crisis. You know what we learned? Silence equals death. And that would be true if we remain silent about racism in our society today. And we need to hear the challenge that Jesus gave the disciples so long ago. If we really are going to stand with our black siblings, stand with the marginalized and oppressed, if we are going to speak out against injustices and heal the brokenness of our society, then we need to know we will encounter opponents, hostility, threats, even persecution. The powers that be, the death-dealing forces in the world, will not go quietly and step aside. This is work that will require resolve perseverance. Part-timers need not apply. We've got to go all in or not go at all. Of course, Jesus never takes the disciples to a place where they cannot hear the promise of, of the gospel. So Jesus often follows his warnings with, and yet. These words, if you ever hear these words in scripture, you need to pay attention. You need to lean in and listen carefully. And yet, Jesus says, 
Your Abba, who is God in heaven, knows when those small sparrows fall to the ground. You, beloved, you, beloved, are worth so much more than a whole flock of sparrows. And it's not that God didn't love the sparrows, just that you, beloved, are worth the worth of a whole flock of sparrows. God knows everything about you, even the number of the hairs on your head. So do not fear. The promise of the gospel for those disciples and for us today, you, beloved, you matter. You all matter. God sees. God hears. God knows. God saves. God is faithful. Following Jesus isn't for the faint of heart. In this day, it means giving up things, things that we hold precious, even things we hold dear. In brief, discipleship means leaving behind conventional approaches to kinship, career, and social harmony. And that's not a prospect to be taken lightly. Jesus sent those first disciples out into the world and so sends us out into the world to liberate, to heal, and to proclaim that the God's realm has come near and is coming near. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. Jesus knows and normalizes this turmoil and calls us to trust a caring God of love and justice along the way. And Jesus reminds us that God who knows us even more than God knows the sparrows comes alongside us with loving kindness and asks us, what troubles you? We watched in horror as George Floyd was pinned to the earth crying out, I can't breathe. And in the days that followed, we white Americans, we have learned and watched with horror, horror and realized that all our black siblings live most days of their life, every day, feeling like they cannot breathe. So what are we to do now? What now, we ask? Building another world, a world where all are seen and honored requires a thoroughgoing commitment and a willingness to stay engaged when things get hard. Jesus doesn't mince words on this point. Jesus says you are embarking on a struggle. You will meet with trouble and setbacks and a long journey ahead. But hear this. Many who have gone before us, many who were in all the way, Christians have helped show us the way. Francis of Assisi, Teresa of Avila, Fanny Lou Hammer, Clarence Jordan, Rosa Parks, Oscar Romero, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Dorothy Day, the great Catholic social worker. Dorothy Day, in fact, said, one of the disconcerting facts about the spiritual life is that God takes you at your word. Sooner or later, one is given a chance to prove your love. We continue into the season of Pentecost where we are reminded of the breath of God that still blows where she will. We are reminded the fire of God's righteousness still burns in those who believe the power of God and God still emboldens us to tear down every stronghold and the will of God still reigns supreme. So as we ask what now? Well, in the strength of that power, we must be compelled to show up Stand up, speak up. 
You must remember what Jesus said. What I speak, whisper to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. In Minneapolis, in Brunswick, in Louisville, in New York, in Ferguson, in Cleveland, in Baltimore, in Chicago, in Dallas. Proclaim from the housetops. In every city across this land, we must call this out. We must bolster our courage. Only when we choose to face it and show up, speak up, stand up, will we be able to turn this in this place, in this time. This is the work of the church, and it is our work to do now so that all people, all people come Independence Day, July 4th, and come Independence Day, June 19th, will be able to experience and live free and breathe and celebrate the Jubilee. Amen.